And today we are opening our Bibles back up to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus speaking here. This is chapter 7 of Matthew. So Matthew chapter 7, we're only going to read two short verses in this chapter today, and that is verses 13 and 14. So once again, that's Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we have read your word, I pray that even though it's just a short passage that we've read, that it will be impactful to our lives, that we will grow closer to you, come to know you better, come to know your will for us and, and how we ought to live, to, to speak, to act, and to interact with those around us in this world and in this life. Lord, we just thank you for the blessing of this day. We thank you for the blessing of your word, the blessing of your son Jesus, and the hope and salvation that we have through him. And it is in, through his name that we pray. So most people are, are pretty familiar with these verses. They, they really, they elaborate on the previous verse, which is known as the golden rule verse. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. It exemplifies that, it, it, it really, it sums it up, it kind of exemplifies that. It also exemplifies the ideal uh, Christian walk of faith. This message in these verses, it, it's pretty straightforward. You know, the small gate is commonly understood as our, our initial faith and repentance. It's when we come to God through Jesus in the waters of baptism. And the narrow road, of course, is our continuing walk in God's ways and in accord with his will. It's not an easy road, though. As a matter of fact, we will stumble a lot sometimes. And it can definitely be a lonely road. Jesus tells us that not many will take this path. Not many choose to accept God's grace. Many, actually most, turn from God. They take the way that is wide and broad, as is described here. This is the way of the world, and it's steeped in sin. Now, when I was thinking about this, it made me imagine that there's maybe a little bit of a parallel here uh, in with our Western expansion from our own history. See, as people were to head west, they rode out west, and they were able to pretty much roam the countryside. If they were leaving from New York or, or parts to the east, they could just go wherever they wanted and take whatever way they wanted because there really was no set way to take. Now, sure, there were some routes that were more established than others, but nothing was set in concrete. Nothing was set in concrete, at least not yet. It was known as the Wild West. It was, by and large, it was, it was lawless. Corruption, murder, drunkenness, debauchery, sins of every kind were rampant throughout. But none of that stopped or even slowed the droves of people heading west. So this was kind of, when I was thinking about this, this broad, wide way to, to take, I kind of thought about that because it really was. They were able to go however they wanted, and they were going out into basically a very sinful and, and lawless and, and evil world. And throughout Scripture, that's, that's definitely not the, the way that Jesus is saying here. He's talking about this narrow way, this, this small gate. Throughout Scripture, though, we see God revealing that there are two ways that we can go. There are two ways that we can go. And simply put, they are the way of life and the way of death. The way of life, of course, leads to God. It involves 
following his ways. And yes, that means that there are rules to follow. Oh, man, rules to follow? Come on. You know, rules like do not cheat, steal, murder, commit adultery, lie, you know, that type of thing. Rules that are meant to protect us from harming one another. And of course, there are rules about hygiene, food safety, and other things that are meant to prevent other types of harm upon us. And let we not let we not let us not forget, excuse me, let us not forget the greatest rule. And that's to love. Love God and love your neighbor. But most people, these, these rules are meant to protect us, but most people think that these rules are, are too restrictive, that they somehow inhibit our ability to have fun and enjoy life. You know, Christians are boring. They don't know, they don't do anything. They don't know how to do anything and enjoy life and have fun. And it, that's just the wrong way to go. You know, I'd like to share two secrets with you, and please feel free to share them with everyone you know and meet. First, these rules actually promote the enjoyment of life and being alive. I mean, think about it. If we could live this a little more fully, the amount of anger, frustration, hatred, and so on would greatly decrease. And without all of that, does it not make sense that life would be more enjoyable? We can have fun without getting drunk. We can have fun without get, doing drugs. We can have fun without sleeping with everybody that we, that we come in contact with. We can have a lot of fun. It doesn't take these extremes, this, this, this absolute craziness, this loss of ourself and our self-control to be able to have fun and enjoy life. There are rules that are set to keep us from harming ourselves and harming one another. Now, the second secret is, is that these rules that God gave us through Moses that so many want to reject are actually foundational to the basic rules of society. Now, not all rules. Of course, there are a ton of logical and not-so-logical laws that have absolutely nothing to do with God's laws. But the basics, really the most essential ones, are rooted in God's Word. Now, some just want to break the rules, doesn't matter who they're from, and most are fine with the rules of man. But they will rail against the idea of God's involvement in those rules. Why is that? Well, it's probably because we know that we can get away with things if it's, if it's man, right? We can cheat and deceive man, but we can't do that with God. You know, how, how many times, just think to yourself, you don't have to answer this out loud, but how many times... Have you done 10, 15, 20 miles an hour over the speed limit? Why? Because chances are you're not going to get caught. You, know, you can tell a little white lie most of the time. You might even be able to get away with it. You might be able to swipe those pens or something else from work or from a hotel or wherever. We can do these little things, right? And most of the time, man won't know. Nobody will ever know. So we can get away with these things. We can cheat and we can deceive man. But we can't cheat and deceive God. Because he knows. He knows everything that we do. He knows everything that is in our heart. And so there's a, a, a level of accountability that, that people just can't accept. Because there's no, there's no fudging our way around these ones. You know, not when God's involved. So... That's that's the that's the heart of this message. This idea between the the, the narrow gate, the narrow or the small gate, and the narrow way. 
versus the gate that is as broad and wide as the path. But what does that have to do with today's message, specifically the, the correlation with the mind? The, the message title is the gate is not equal to the mind. What do these have to do with one another? That doesn't make really any sense. What I've said so far doesn't really play much into that. Well, think about it this way. Jesus said that the gate and the road to life is small and narrow. Well, there are those who think that to enter this gate and to walk this path means that you have to have an equally small and narrow mind. And this notion was birthed and fostered by Israelites and Christians alike throughout history who would fixate upon the Word of God at the expense of the Spirit of God. You take the letter of the law and you follow it at the expense of the meaning, the heart, the purpose of the law. And really, this whole sermon that Jesus is delivering here on the mount is taking the laws that the people had known for thousands of years and had messed up because they were taking it at the face value and not looking at the, the broader context of what God had expanded it to be, what he meant it to be to begin with. That, that understanding of, of love is the foundational part of this, loving God and loving your neighbor. They took all of that and forgot about it and were so focused on these, these specifics, these traditions, these this, this repetition, all of these things, that they lost their way. They lost God's way. They, they, they were continually doing these things. You know, somewhere down the line, we always forget who God calls us to be, what he calls us to do. And, and this, this idea of, of having a small or a narrow mind isn't something that's new or unique to the modern church. As I said, it, the Israelites were just as, as guilty of this. It happens in cycles. It began way back when, you know, we, we, we lose our way, we lose his way, and then in time we come back again, and then it happens all over. We lose our way, we lose his way again, and we come back. We're doing this constantly. We forget who, call, who God calls us to be. See, God calls us to be open to possibilities. God calls us to other people and cultures, to adventure and exploration. God did not call us to be the, this, this closed-knit group that, that won't let anybody in. You know, we're, this is us, the church, right? God called us to be the church. We're to be like this. Well, the problem with this is nobody can get in to this. God didn't call us to do that. God call, uh, called us to be something more. For example, he told Abram, the man that you know as Abraham, before he was known as Abraham, he was known as Abram. He told Abram to go to the land I will show you. Now, Abram had never been to this place. He didn't even know where he was going. Because God didn't tell him where he was going. He just says, go to the land I will show you. So Abram has no idea where he's going. Yet he went. Now, he wasn't perfect in, his, in, in walking according to God's will, however. He, he really wasn't. You know, he did travel to many lands very faithfully, and he, he was true to God's word, and, and he was pretty good about that. But when traveling to Egypt, for whatever reason, when traveling to Egypt, maybe they had this reputation, I don't know, but Moses was, was just, or excuse me, Abram was just a little bit more skeptical, he was a little bit more judgmental, and, and, and yes, he was a little small-minded when it came to the Egyptians. You see, he was, he was afraid. 
when you go into Egypt, he's, he's traveling with his, with his beautiful wife, you know, the spry age of 65. And he was afraid of the attention that she would receive from them. And, and that might seem odd. I, I know there's been a couple of times in the past where I've read that and I thought, well, she was old. She was 65 years old. Why would, why would young men be so attracted to her? Well, then I started to realize, you know, see, I, I, can, I can relate now to what Abram was going through, what he was seeing, his view of his wife. Because I know that my own wife is more beautiful now, 27 years later, than the day that we met as teenagers. And I imagine that in 20, 30 years, her beauty in my eyes will continue to increase, and I know that I would do what I could to protect her. So what Abram was going through is he was looking at his wife as being the most beautiful, 65 years old or not. She was the most beautiful woman in the world to him, and he knew this was the most beautiful woman. And with her beauty, that people may look at her. She may receive attention that may not be good. And so he struggled. And, and, and so I can, I can understand this. And I, I apologize. This is not relevant to the message, but it does show how we can and at times, we sometimes we find a connection, a way of relating to others and, and to, to passages of Scripture that we might not expect. So that, that's the point of, of that, that little kind of sidetrack there. But getting back to this, God often directed his people to move. We didn't always do it perfectly. We, we generally mess it up one way or another. But he directed them to go from place to place. Okay? God directed them to explore. Jesus traveled extensively, and he told his disciples, and subsequently the church, all who would follow as well, to go out into the world making disciples of all nations. We're told to go out, to explore, to adventure. Jesus, he didn't just go either. He didn't just go to the synagogues. He didn't go from synagogue to synagogue, teaching to the Jews, to the leaders, the teachers, the, the leaders of, of, of the word, of the law. He met with peoples from all walks of life, from rulers to beggars. And he was open, accessible to everyone, to the dregs of society and the most deplorable sinners, those who were in most desperate need of repentance and forgiveness. And through his example, we know how to love God and love our neighbor. See, Jesus at his time, he, he seen this, what was going on in the people, the teachers and leaders of the law, they were teaching the people that you need to love God, but in this very robotic, very precise way that you're, it's more about the tradition, it's more about the, the habits than than the heart. And, and they were doing this all at the expense of this other aspect of it, of loving our neighbor as ourselves. Now, of course, we're, we're going to love our neighbor, but we're not going to take an actual interest in them. We're not going to actually connect with them. We're just going to do these things that God told us to do because we have to, because this is how we're supposed to treat one another. So we're going to treat you cordially, we're going to treat you with respect and all these things, but we're not going to actually take time to connect with you. See, that would require a lot more work. That would require a lot more opening ourselves up to people, getting to know who people are, reducing our own importance and, and increasing someone else's importance. There's a, there's a lot of things that were going on here. 
And, and Jesus was this, this perfect example of this, this whole idea, of this whole walk. While you know, all these others that we see in scriptures, they, they look more like our own life. You know, they look like our own life as, as we uh, tend to close our mind and, and we, we stay away from people we don't know, right? But we're not called to do that. And that, that's just the point. We're not called to, to, to cloister ourselves in, in these small groups and, and, and protect ourselves from all, everybody outside. We're not called to isolate ourselves from the world. And this is something that many churches and Christians were guilty of long before the pandemic. We would, we would put ourselves within our church and this is our protected zone. This is our area. Nobody can get in here. See, if we're true to who God calls us to be and the great commission given to us by Jesus, we would be more open to all people. We would love our neighbor, our family, our friends, our co-workers and acquaintances, our enemies and our rivals. We would love everyone. You know, something like that is, is, is it's huge. And it is the opposite of the, sm the small and narrow mind. Because it requires us to learn and grow, to explore, to seek. So much of what God tells us is about seeking, learning, and understanding. Did you know that among the first scientists, there, there were Christians, a lot of Christians among the first scientists. It's because they sought to learn more about God's creation and to more clearly see God's hand in his creation. You know, we're called to have an open mind, to go out into the world and to do and to do the works that God puts before us. And if we have this idea of, of staying so focused on God's word that we forget the people, his creation, his children, we're not doing what we're, what we're told to do. If we think that we have to isolate ourselves from the world, we have to cloister together in small groups to protect ourselves, you know, when, when we come together like this, and we, we're here, this is the church, and, and we're together, this is all the members, and we come together, and we're close-knit, and we're tight, and the problem is, is we're not allowing anyone else in. So we can't do that. We, we've got to be open. We've got to be open and understanding of people, and love people. That's the only way we can help them through their sins. Now, there, there are many uh, retreats and, and camps and of things that are available to us and my wife with with one of the camps during the summer week-long camp she always says it's like a, a what she imagines to be a small glimpse of, of what the kingdom will be like and when we get together on these retreats whether it's for a weekend or for a week we're together with people that are like-minded right we're together with brothers and sisters in christ we're together with people who even if they haven't come through the waters of baptism, they haven't come to God through Jesus and the waters of baptism yet, they're, they're, they're contemplating, they're, they're learning, they're growing, they're trying to understand, they're trying to know more, and they're building and developing that relationship. And that's the people that we're with. And so we're strengthened and we're encouraged and we, we're loving and caring for one another. And so when these things end, we don't want to go back out into the world because we know that the world is cruel, it's hateful, it's hurtful. It's no fun. And here in these places, we're, we're having fun. We're enjoying ourselves because we're, we're laughing, we're, we're playing, we're worshiping, we're praising God in everything that we're doing, but we can't stay in those places. Not yet. See, when we're in the kingdom is when we'll experience the kingdom. For right now, 
we need to bring that, that kingdom feel out of these places and into the world. So we have to go out. We have to be unafraid. We have to be bold to go out to the people that we don't know or the people that don't like us or the people that we know, oh, this is a sinner, and I know their sins, and, and everybody tells me that this sin is so terrible. Well, every sin is, is equally horrible and horrendous and, and unapproachable in God's eyes. So, so forget about this. This sin is worse than every other because your sin is just as bad as theirs. We have to be unafraid to go up to these people and to talk to them and to love them. We have to. We can't, we can't stay in these little groups. See, this gate that we enter into relationship with God, it may be small and narrow, but in order to know God and to walk the narrow way, our mind must be anything but. We have to seek knowledge and understanding and, and gain wisdom. A major aspect of, of our periodic communion that we do is to remind us of who Jesus is. Why he sacrificed himself. He did this for all people. Not just for those who come into the church, not just for those who listen to Christian music or, or wear a cross around their neck or wear the t-shirts with the, with the scripture on it. He did it for all people. He walked the narrowest of roads and he opened a gate in hopes that everyone would enter through it. So we have to be just as open and loving to those around us. If we're going to help people to understand that gate, to understand that sacrifice that Jesus offered himself as, if we're to stay true to this remembrance of, of, the, of the sacrifice, of the blood that was shed and of the body that was broken, if we're to stay true to that, we have to be willing to open our minds enough to go out into the world around us to speak that truth, to speak that love to people. But we, we, can't, we can't be this closed mind, closed group, closed knit. We can't do that because we, we don't let people in then. We only let people in that we know. And that doesn't help those that are out there that are lost. Jesus said that he didn't come didn't come to, to heal the, those that were not sick, but to heal those that were sick, right? To paraphrase. He came to heal those that were sick. Those that aren't sick, they don't, they don't need that, right? So while these times that we get together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, with fellow believers, with like-minded believers, they are times of encouragement. They are times of renewal and refreshing and, and strengthening. The true for us as Christians isn't here in the church. It isn't here in, in, these, in these retreats and camps. It is out in the world where it is cold, where it is cruel, where it is evil, where it is hateful. That is what we're called to do, and, and we, we have to open our minds to be able to get out into that world. Christians are not called to be small-minded. I, I don't know how many times God tells us to open our minds to seek wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And yet, like I said, this cycle keeps happening where we close our minds off, we close ourselves off to people. 
we need to start this this cycle back, this this returning to God and to His ways and to committing to this, so that we're we're getting past that and we're opening this this wonderful message of salvation to the entire world, starting with the people that are in our lives every single day. That's what we're called to do. Next week we're going to continue in this message, uh, chapter seven of Matthew. Until then, let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you again for the blessing of this day. We thank you for your word. I pray that in this message that we are strengthened and encouraged by it, that we know your presence among us, and that we go out into this world faithfully, boldly, proclaiming the good news of the coming kingdom, salvation through your son Jesus. And Lord, that we would help others to know this relationship, to know that it is about love. It's about about being, in order to walk this path, it's about being focused upon you. But in our focus on you, we have to bring in our focus of all your people. They have to be a part of that in order for us to be true in our walk with you through Jesus. Lord, we pray all of this in his precious name.